I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land, and for this episode in particular, the Gadigal people of the Eonora Nation. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. It happened in January, and of course me coming from the Savoy and we had other incredible talented people with the big names, we opened the door and suddenly we are empty and no one's coming. So it was a very, very scary moment. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Martin Hudak is passionate about two art forms, coffee and cocktails. He is a world-renowned bartender, spirit ambassador, author and co-owner of Maybe Sammy in Sydney. Hi Martin, thanks for joining me. Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm very, very pleased to have you on the show, especially after your long flight from overseas. And look, I could go on and on about your achievements, but I thought, why why am I doing this? I'll just let you do all of that. Oh, that's that's a hard task. I don't like to talk about myself too much. But um, yeah, I'm I'm a true believer that my work should, you know, speak itself for what I do. But, you know, um, I I think I've been very lucky in my life and uh, in the last 15 years in this industry, you know, from back in London, now being in Sydney, I've been very lucky to be surrounded by great people. And all, all these achievements are, of course, you know, it's collective effort of everyone. And at the moment, I would say the biggest success is that as a group, uh, maybe group we have here in Sydney, we're growing organically and we have incredible teams and which winning accolades globally and nationally. So um, I would say, yeah, maybe Semi is uh, like, like a jewel, like a diamond to me, you know, being four years in 50 best bars, world's 50 best bar ranking. It's a, it's kind of a big deal for me and I'm very, very glad for it. Well, you certainly are kicking goals, you and the whole team, and you've got a quite a unique story. So I want to know what had its first impression of on you? Was it cocktails or coffee? Which came first? Oh, it's like if I ask you which child is your favorite, you know, if you have two or three, it's hard to pick one. Of course, you love them all. Um, but legally, historically, you know, where I'm coming from in Slovakia, you are not allowed to, you know, touch alcohol or, you know, make cocktails if you are not 18 years old. So I already started working in the coffee shops and restaurants when I was 15. And uh, at that time, I fell in love uh, for coffee and coffee craft. So I started with that. And then the moment I could go behind the real bar and make cocktails, I was like, whoa, this is great too. Why cannot, you know, why we don't combine them together and do, do it like coffee cocktails? And, you know, and, and that, that moment I realized, okay, I have a passion for both. How can I make them equally strong and equally, you know, um, well-known globally? And that was my challenge since then. Well, tell me a little bit about growing up in Slovakia, because it's such a unique country, obviously bordered by so many different other countries. Uh, What was the kind of drinking culture um, in Slovakia? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, looking back 10, 15 years ago when I was, you know, fresh off the studies, you know, from Hotel Academy, where I studied all this culinary world, you know, I graduated as a chef. I tried to work in a kitchen. I really didn't like it. Uh, I really respect chefs, to be honest, but it's such a hard job. You're just by yourself. No one looking at you. No one talking to you. Um, so I realized straight away I want to be in front of the people. I want to be center of the attention. And in Slovakia, it was pretty difficult because there's no cocktail culture as such, or it wasn't. 10, 15 years ago. It's very, uh, very simple drinking uh, culture there. You know, people like eau de vis and clean spirits. Uh, people don't like to mix things together. Uh, they are believers of straight, strong flavors. And with the coffee, same, you know. Um, we, we Historically, we didn't have enough uh, good quality products from overseas, although we were surrounded by five different countries. So we, we kind of struggle, you know, we've been under under influence of so many nations and cuisines. So I would say where I'm coming from, you know, I, I'm, I was exposed to so many different things, but now it's getting better. We have way, 
way better cocktail bars and coffee shops and restaurants and become more cosmopolitan and more European, I would say. So um, I'm very proud to see where my country is at this point. And when I was leaving my home in 2014, I knew that the future is bright. Yeah, interesting that, um, you know, even in Australia for a long time, you know, we were more of a beer wine kind of drinking nation and now we kind of embraced a bit of everything um i've had that drink uh, is borovichka borovichka yes oh my god i'm surprised you know how to say it <laughs> <laughs> well i mean i remember trying that um when i was in the states once a friend of mine had a bottle and it was like gin but on absolute steroids and i remember taking a sip when it was just straight and kind of it blowing my head off but then i've had it in a few cocktails and i really enjoyed it i mean i'm a big juniper fan so um, yeah yeah absolutely it's it's a hundred percent juniper infusion or spirit nothing else and we have such a beautiful nature and mountains and forests so for us you know what flora and fauna gives that we use kind of in a in a spiritual way uh, as as a liquid so borovichka is one of those spirits and you know i remember when i tasted for the first time uh, very young i was like oh my god this this tastes like revenge from the forest <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, that's a perfect way to put it. And then also, you know, using lots of different kind of berries and fruits in a lot of their kind of spirits as well. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. We pretty much distill everything with a sugar inside. So I remember in our backyard, we have a plum trees. And of course, my mom collected them all and made some beautiful plum jam, which I love. But then whatever fell on the ground and started getting a bit rotten, you know, and fermented or they were a little bit bad and broken. My father would collect them, ferment them, and then distill in his garage, and we would have his, our own Slivovitz, which is plum eau de vie. And, uh, and, you know, like, it was such a, you know, easy, easy way how to do it. There were no, like, instruments and regulations. And I remember my dad was, you know, like his home distiller, and pretty much everyone did that and share with the friends and family. And uh, at that time, it was very, very, very strong and unregulated. <laughs> But that's where some of the best things start, aren't they? Is that they, that kind of starts off at moonshine and then people, you know, kind of improve on the recipes and that's where we've got some wonderful drinks in the world. But after you left school and you knew that cocktails were something you wanted to pursue and coffee, you went to the Savoy in London. Tell me about that experience. Yeah, I mean, in Slovakia, I really achieved pretty much everything what I said. You know, it was pretty easy to be one of the best because we had like five bartenders in the country and maybe five bars, you know. So I didn't feel like, you know, I didn't feel challenged enough and I really wanted to grow and see what is out there. And at that point, I traveled around the world for various competitions. You know, they took me to Havana in Cuba. I went to Melbourne once and went to, right, right around the world. And, you know, once you start traveling, your eyes getting more and more open and you realize, oh, wow, there is so much I need to learn. So, of course, for me, leaving my hometown, my family, I, I knew I have to choose the best place on earth. And that's London. Back in time and even still now, London is, you know, Mecca of cocktails. And looking at the history of cocktails, you know, Savoy is such a significant place. We're talking about 133 years of the oldest surviving five-star hotel in Europe, one of the first American cocktail bars. You know, there is this cocktail book which was written in 1930s and all the classic drinks were, were made there. So for me, it was such an incredible challenge to be at that place. And I would say maybe I was lucky, maybe it was such a great timing that I got a position of senior bartender, which normally doesn't happen because you go, you have to go through stages of, you know, being like a, in a back of house on the floor, helper, junior, etc. But I got a job straight away on like top, top ranking behind the bar, you know, and I wear a white jacket and I serve the queen and celebrities and famous people. And, and I realized, wow, this is the real cocktail world. I mean, amazing that 
to go from, you know, like you said, to go for, you're already doing wonderful things, but yeah, to be launched into that position. I'm sure when you put on that white jacket, you kind of felt the weight of the world on your shoulders. 100%, the pressure was on, you know, everybody's watching, everybody's judging you, you know, my English wasn't that well back then and I had to go to school and studying, I had to study recipes and I worked so many days and hours because I respect that place so much and I didn't really want to make any mistakes, so uh, great challenge in my life, great. Do you have any moments where you misstepped or you did something wrong that you kind of look back on and shudder? Oh, yeah, so many. Oh, my God. I could write a book. I was so green, so fresh. You know, of course, the way how you should talk to people and uh, maybe you shouldn't use specific words or shouldn't swear or the the way maybe you should dress and behave. You know, we have to shape every day for work. And uh, like I have a, I had a beard all my life since I remember, you know, <laughs> so I have to be clean shaved and there's so many rules and regulations. So I'm not saying I was a rebel or I was like a badass, but you know, I had this kind of moments where I wanted to really showcase them who I am. Like, this is me. Look at me. But I couldn't because of the rules. So that's where I mostly uh, made the mistakes. Mm. Well, also, I think, though, that it's wonderful to, especially when you're at a place where you want to learn, to be um, kind of conforming in a way that you're just really paying respect to the place. So, and you, you seem like you had, you know, had so much respect for it. So I think that that's pretty awesome. And and it's not like you haven't been able to be yourself since then. So you certainly come into your own. Tell me a little bit about. Um, global cocktail competitions. I feel that, you know, if someone's not in that space and it is a large world, but a lot of people don't really understand how it all works. It's the same with sommelier competitions. So talk me through what a general competition looks like. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like from the bartenders world, for like from mixology world, like there is not many things happening out there on social media or on TV because, you know, chefs are celebrated for many years and they really made it, you know, they became, they became famous and they have the status, you know, we have a competitions, you know, from master chefs, whatever. So they are really, really celebrated out there. Barton does not as such. So whenever I tell someone, Hey, I'm going to represent my country and I'm going there and there, I'm like, what? You're just making a cocktails like, like is that a real craft or art? And it's very hard to explain. And I even able to explain this to my parents. You know, at early age, I was like, "Mom, I need you know specific money for you know this bottle and this uniform and this glassware." And they they didn't really get it. But once you start winning and traveling and building your name, people understand that to win a competition or be out there, it's like a golden ticket for you and suddenly you become part of this global community. You build your name. Now, there are different reasons why people are competing, you know. Sometimes people want to compete just because of the fame. Sometimes they want to have a great connections with people and want to travel and want to challenge themselves. And that was my case, you know. It took me seven years to become world coffee and good spirit champion, like the best barista and bartender. And I, I never gave up because I always knew that, you know, you never lose. You either learn or, uh, or, or you win. Wow. Just to put that in perspective for people, you were announced World Coffee in Good Spirit Champion uh, in Budapest. You then went on a training program and demonstrations that took you to over 50 countries. That is absolutely insane. And for anybody that can't understand whether it's an art form, I I challenge anyone to kind of, you know, to just rethink that because that's absolutely amazing. What 
uh, drink did you win with? Yeah, so there, there are a few rules. You have like 10 minutes, 15 minutes to prepare two cocktails each. One has to be cold and one has to be hot, um, both based on coffee, but different types of coffees. One espresso, one filter. Um, you need to sponsor spirits and you're preparing for that like for about eight months and then you're on the stage, whole world's watching. There's 50 nations, it's like Olympic Games and you made one mistake and you lose your points. Like I did twice, I became second in the world just by a small, small difference. Uh, and that year in the finals, I prepared Irish coffee, which is a very famous cocktail of course you have a whiskey sugar coffee and cream uh, and this is like a staple this one you have to do it all the time because it's like a benchmark and another drink was kind of my signature where i try to utilize ingredients which are usually overlooked in the coffee industry uh, so i try to get some sort of like sustainable approach towards it and and uh, i think the whole story presentation the music the way i speak and i really made big impression and that year yeah i won with the highest scores ever in the history and since then yeah it's like that Wow. Congratulations, first of all. And for just, like you said, coming second a few times or a couple of times and then continuing on and and just pushing through it. That takes a lot of um, gumption to be able to do something like that. I mean, I also want, like, when you talk about the scoring, I mean, I suppose you you can kind of Google it and look on YouTube, but you're judged on things like... um, you know, your kind of attitude and, you know, your charisma on stage as well as kind of how your hand moves is, can you give us a bit more insight? The, 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 the rules are very, very big. They are like most difficult rules I've ever seen comparing the bartender's competition or chef's competition. There's about 50 pages of rules. You have five judges looking at you. There are two taste judges who are completely just focusing on the taste. So if you tell them this tastes like a blueberry cake with a little bit of cinnamon aftertaste and this and that, it has to taste like that. If you tell them the temperature of this cocktail is like that, it has to be like that. Then you have a tech judge who's judging, as you said, you know, how much you spill, if you make any mistakes, if you if your espresso going too fast or too slow, then you have a head judge, you have a timekeepers. So the rules are very important. But most of the young bartenders, including myself, when I started, I said, rules? Ah, who cares? You know, I was bigger than life. You know, I was like full of myself. I was like, I'm going to show you who I am. And of course, I was overtime most of the time. I got disqualified because I didn't read the rules. So then I was like, okay, if I want to win, I had to really study and I need to kind of nailed this formula how to how to mm. win. And that's really humbling, isn't it? To, to go, okay, I have to play by the rules, but I have to play the game that I've entered myself into. Of course, of course. The best thing ever, ever happened to me in life is when I failed. Because these things really, really makes you being a better and makes you understand that in the end of the day, you know, it's it's not you and who you think who you are, it's the people out there. But not only in competition, it's not just the judges. In everyday life, your guests are your judges and your competition is being better than you were yesterday. So that's the real challenge because they're going to judge you, but not by scores. They're going to judge if they come back to your venues and bring more friends and spend more money. So this is real competition and it's, it's, it's really, really scary world out there because, you know, no one wants to have empty bar or guest with the bad reviews. Yeah, you, you said that really well and, it, and and it's inspiring. You're right because at the end of the day, you know, you want people to be coming in there because they enjoy themselves, not because they necessarily want to date you because you can't date the whole world, can you? So. No, 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 no. <laughs> tell, me, tell me how you found yourself in Australia. Look, in 2017 at the Savoy, we won the world's best bar. We won the best bar team and so many accolades. I became world champion in coffee world. And, you know, there is this saying that the, the goal which is achieved is not goal anymore. And I've been waiting all my life to be on top of the Olymp, you know, on top of the mountain. I work at the best bar in the world. You know, we were the best. And at that moment, I kind of felt like 
empty, I feel like, what's next? Like, where else I can do? I can go, and what what can I do? And uh, <clears throat> it's like uh, I heard about this syndrome of Olympics, you know, Olympicians. You know, when they win, the winner has like the biggest crash ever. The second and third place are so hyped up for next year. And I guess that's what happened to me. I didn't feel challenged anymore, and I didn't feel like I can bring something on the table. So rather than being burned out and being there with a fake smile and forcing myself to serving others, I said, it's time for me to go and try the country where I've never been. I've been a few times, but I never really worked or lived. Don't know many people. I want to start from zero. Same way as I started four years before when I joined the Savoy, moved to London. And and that, and that moment I met my business partner, Stefano and Vince. And, you know, if you, if you know Italians, they, they, they have something which is so attractive. You know, it's the way they look at life. Um, they are so flamboyant, bohemian, so friendly, so happy all the time. And I kind of clicked with them and I was like, these are the people I want to spend the rest of my life with. There is no way they're going to listen to this. So I'm not saying that because of them. They're not going to listen to this, but <laughs> just between us. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful because you're looking at, okay, who do I want to be in business with? How do I want to create this life? And starting at the kind of foundation rather than going, I just want to pick that bar. It was how do I create this new world for myself? Um, and maybe Sammy uh, launched in 2019. So a pretty tough little year for you guys to be going into business. What did that look like? Yeah, yeah. So I moved to Australia in uh, 10 of July 2018, which is my birthday, actually. So it's funny, I landed on my birthday and it's like a new rebirth. And yeah, since then, we've been working for like six months to open maybe semi and happened in January. And of course, me coming from the Savoy and we had other incredible, talented people with the big names. We opened the door and suddenly we are empty and no one's coming. So it was very, very scary moment. And uh Mm, I would say we've been we've been always believing in ourselves and what we do. We never kind of steer away from our our you know dedication and focus, and and really work work it out very well for us because in June that year we we won in New Orleans at Tells the Cocktails the world's best new cocktail bar, and we're talking about the whole world. There are so many new bars every year being opened, so getting this award, being such a small bar from Australia, uh, really opened up the door for us. And in that specific year, 2019, before you know the world shut again because of pandemic, we got 14 international national awards. So, wow, yeah. That, that's truly amazing. And, uh, you know, it's funny because I, I used to work down at Key for a long time and, and you guys weren't too far away, but I just remember that being such a tumultuous time and, and not going out for drinks after work like, you know, normally we all would. We'd all be headed off for a couple of places, but it just was, you know, those uncertain times. And it's a shame because you, you really wanted to support, you know, your fellow HOSPO people, but you just kind of also were thinking, you know, watching your money and, and thinking about where you spent your dollars and where the next paycheck was coming from. But you really use the pandemic to your advantage, which goes to kind of show what kind of person you are. I think you didn't remain idle, but you created Sammy Jr. And you also published your first book, Spiritual Coffee, which uh, I haven't read, but would love to read. Tell me about um, not only working through the pandemic, but how you kind of motivated yourself to also be creative. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, in pandemic, uh, you know, it's it's not it wasn't an easy time. You know, you could be on your sofa or you know, 
play with the yeast and bake a bread and have an air fryer and whatever people were doing, uh, which is creative way how to kill the time and be, you know, be engaged with something new. Um, for me, it was an opportunity to finally slow down and not being on service or around the world and being at home. And I had this idea that <clears throat> the world of coffee and cocktails is so big and there are so many great books about each of those topics, but not really together. And many people were asking me for for a long time as I was traveling, like, okay, so what's the real story about Espresso Martini? Was it really Naomi Campbell who ordered it first? You know, what is this real story behind this drink and that drink? So in the world of social media and the internet, there are so many different stories which are not necessarily true. Um, So I took the opportunity and kind of advantage of the situation and I decided to write my very own first, I would say, coffee cocktail Bible where you can discover the first ever written uh, recipe for coffee cocktail and first coffee liqueur and how it was done. And, and we're going from the history to the modern times. And I believe this, this book is not for everyone because it's very, very historical and lots of information, dates and, 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 and things like that. Of course, with some amazing recipes. But I believe this, this book really is important for young emerging bartenders and baristas to understand the history because if you don't understand the past how you can create the future and these days there are so many young talented people out there who just want to jump straight into it and you know start creating their own drinks but they're missing foundation so I, I really really took this opportunity and hopefully this book can help the people and same way you know having a space like semi junior which combining coffee and cocktails you know mornings and night it's very unique because in Australia, what strikes me the most, apart from having the best coffee scene in the world, is the coffee shops close at three o'clock. And in Europe, this, this doesn't happen, you know? Like you, in Europe, you can have a coffee later on at night. So I was like, why don't we offer a coffee until the end? And why don't we offer, you know, cocktails and wines and things like that earlier in the day? Because this is pretty European. And, you know, being surrounded by so many Italians, we want to open something like that. So Semi Junior is really... Uh, the, the real concrete space of my ideas, beliefs and love and passion for coffee cocktails. Mm. I love that. I mean, and so often between, like you said, three o'clock or whatever you, it may be, you're often doing meetings or, you know, sitting down to get some work done or you might be, you know, about to go out for dinner. It's right in that time where you often need a place in between, especially in the city where you not always have got your home to kind of pop back into. So I love that idea and I love the idea of making it an accessible place for whatever anybody feels like. And as we know, in the in the wine world, we survive on beer. You know, in the cocktail world, in the hospo world, we survive on coffee. So it, it's um, it, it makes so much sense and I'm glad I've never been, but I'm really glad that it exists. I want to talk about Mr. Black. Um, an incredible, incredible spirit. And I'm going to use the word game changer, which I actually don't like because everyone uses it these days. I kind of feel like it's overused. But Mr. Black was a game changer. It changed my mind about coffee liqueurs. The espresso martini um, is a great cocktail, but it is something that is a little bit like um, a frenzy or a fever. Once one gets made, as you know, they just get hammered and they just start going out. And in Australia, we've embraced them like no other. So how did Master Black come about? And can you tell me why it is so unique? Yeah, yeah. That's a good good, good point, uh, Game Changer. I kind, of, yeah, I kind of like it. I mean, um, when I was back at the Savoy in 2014-15, I remember I tasted it for the first time. I was like, whoa, this really tastes like coffee and it's not overly sweet. And... I started working with them 
kind of like, you know, like a friend, you know, or consultant here and there until I moved to Australia in 2018 and founder Tom Baker sat me down and was like, look, Martin, if there is only one person in this world who is Mr. Black in a, in a like personalized form, it's you, you are us and you're doing already what we're doing when you travel around the world, you basically you're like evangelists and you gospeling the world of coffee and cocktails and i think this would be great combination uh, if we join the forces and they never had ambassador before they never had like face of the brand and uh, they, they they took me on board in 2018 and i had only one condition i still need to work in a bar because i need to be relevant to what i'm doing i don't want to be one of those guys going around the world and preaching about things and not actually doing them so we, we, we shake the hands and uh, since then it's five years and, uh, you know, uh, I've been able to travel the world, introduce it to different markets and showing the people that coffee liquor is not something what we think it is, that is necessarily only sweet, sugary, artificial, but coffee liquor can be made with the real beans, with less sugar, can be approachable and easier to mix. Wow, it is. It really is that um, it's that balance of flavor for me of Mr. Black. And like you said, it's not overly sweet, which is something that I think is a massive downfall with some of the coffee liqueurs. It has a bitterness to it. It's got spices. I mean, it's got that wheel of aromatics that you find in coffee is still found in Mr. Black. And I actually just like it as a drink just on its own. I think it's just great. Just if it, it's slightly chilled and just in a glass, it's just a great drink. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, coffee has more flavor compounds than wine. There is officially like more than 2,500 flavor compounds and aromatics inside, but they are not discovered yet because our palate is not there yet, yet compared to wine and food, you know? So, of course, whenever people taste Mr. Black glass like wow this is like a chocolate this is like this this is like spice and it should be like that because you know coffee essentially is a fruit and you know we take the fruit same way as we take grapes for your wine we process them and turn them into liqueur so of course it should taste you know differently not just what we thought the coffee is yeah and that's what the beauty is of getting different beans from different countries and the roasting process and all of it it's just a whole world to enjoy um you also were named ambassador of the world is that the right title maybe that's wrong yeah yeah i mean yeah is it like the best international brand ambassador of the year i think that's one so if you think there are so many brands out there, right? There are so many brands and incredible spirits. And most of them has someone who represents them globally. We're talking about like thousands of people. And they said, well, oh, you are the best at your job. And I'm like, okay. But usually these people represent bigger brands, you know, like big distilleries, vodkas and jeans. And Mr. Black is such a, you know, compared to them, small, small modifiers, small liquors coming from Central Coast in Australia. So for us to getting this award, it's really changed a lot. I mean, on your Instagram, uh, I encourage anyone to go and visit uh, Martin's Instagram because there is that moment up on your on your tile and, it, and you can't help but be totally um, exhilarated for you in that moment. And you speak so well, you don't sound nervous. It's just a, it's a really lovely moment and it almost feels like you're there. So if you um, are listening to this podcast, go out and look at that moment that you get announced because it is really beautiful. <laughs> So on your days off, do you often go out for a cocktail or are you the kind of person that would much prefer to stay indoors drinking something you make yourself? What what do you do on your day off? <laughs> that's that's uh, that's a very good question, you know, like it's always like a shoemaker daughters and, and the sons, you know, they are barefoot most of the time. It, it's 
it's same for me, you know, when I'm home, I don't really make cocktails. I rather have a nice glass of wine or a nice, you know, sip of whiskey or mezcal and take it easy. It's very important to have a nice balance between private life and work life. You know, whatever we do in hospitality, or at least at my level, what we're doing, it's real show business. You know, um, we put so much time and effort and passion and energy into what we do on every day that sometimes we are carried away and then we cannot differentiate, you know, the privacy and work. So for me, I'm still learning because I am truly truly obsessed with work with people and making people happy so when i have a day off or if i have a day off uh i'd rather stay home recharge uh, and then back out there to to yeah to socialize that's you you said that really well because i one of the problems i think with hospitality is exactly what you said is we often put so much of you know um, emphasis and importance on making other people happy and what they want that when it comes down to our time off we often say well now it's my turn and I deserve a little bit of that but that can be dangerous because you're actually saying I deserve to be given cocktails and going out and drinking and eating food and that recharge or that element of downtime is often missed yeah yeah you're right so right yeah so it's it's wonderful to hear, and, and and I think that um you know as a true professional you have learnt that you can still have fun and and you can still go out and enjoy yourself, but you have to have that moment of recharge and and uh, yes yeah yeah if you want to if you want to look after others you have to look after yourself first simple as that. Now tell me about if you do go out for a cocktail or you go out for a drink, what is the kind of establishment that you find yourself in? What do you what kind of uh, venue you know makes you feel comfortable? I'm old school guy, so for me it has to be very good music. I'm talking about jazz, blues, soul, maybe a bit of swing, old school. Talking about dark lights, yellow lights. I, I don't like bright lights. For me, when I see white white light in the venue, I'm running away. So I need something more warmer. And I like venues which are designed and fitted out to to feel like you are in this beautiful you know like a warm hug you know i want to be hugged by the venue it's hard to describe but some of the venues when you walk in you feel like whoa i'm like back in time and this feels like you know 1940s 20s or 70s you know um and for me those elements the, the first impression when i feel about light music and and, and, the, and the environment make, makes a lot the second thing is of course the offering and and the service i like to be surrounded by people who really are interested in my day and how i am and what i would like to drink and people with the genuine you know hospitality and smile on their face and then offering of course i'm a big fan of uh, italian cuisine uh, I'm a big fan of uh, wines and and uh, and uh, rare spirits. Not necessarily cocktails all the time, but if I do choose a cocktail, we would be definitely classic drink. And we're talking about martini or old fashioned or Manhattan, those sort of style of drinks. Mm. Oh, I love that. Uh, interesting that you said that because I've only been to maybe Sammy once and I ordered a French 75 and I thought, oh, I should have, you know, just had um, something off the list that I hadn't had, but I am a bit of a classic person and I like sometimes my first experience is to have a classic cocktail when I try a new um a new venue, so you make me feel not bad about that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. We are all about classic drinks, 100%. <laughs> I want to know what what foods and drinks do you miss from back home the most? Ooh, I really miss I really miss beer. 
Slovakian beer because there are so many craft breweries and respect to all of them. I work with so many of them, but sometimes it's just too crazy, too too acidic and too fermented and too bitter, too this and that. In Slovakia, simplicity of uh, beer, you know, traditional Pilsner style, it's just so easy and refreshing. And I miss that simplicity of the beer sometimes. I'm, I'm a beer, big beer person, you know, uh, for us in Slovakia, it's cheaper than water sometimes. So, you know, I grew up on beer. Uh, in terms of the food, of course, it's my mom's kitchen, you know, uh, um, there is nothing better than mama's food and uh, we're talking about you know lots of stewed foods and cabbages and dumplings and and potatoes and lots of fermented uh, uh, ingredients uh, of course we have none of the exotic ingredients in slovakia you know because we're in central europe but we have lots of like root veggies you know heavy foods and that's like my comfy food you know when i feel like begging time when i'm home and i've been looking after Mm, there's a there's a cabbage I think it's like a cabbage sauerkraut soup that I've always wanted to try yeah Christmas one I love it the best oh yum sounds so good <laughs> now I'm going to ask you this question which is probably a little unfair if you could only drink three beverages for the rest of your life say just today not you know if you had to choose three today what would they be and why okay coffee Filter coffee, I'll be specific. Has to be filtered black coffee made as a pour over V60, uh, slowly dripping, very good quality beans, light roast, uh, and sip slowly. Uh, the second would be a Slovakian Pilsner style of beer. And the third one will be mezcal or any agave spirits. So think about tequila, mezcal. Um, clean in a nice, short, small glass and sip it slowly, gently. Mm, I love that. Martin, it's been really lovely to talk to you. I love your passion. I also just love hearing a little bit about your homeland because I've never been. It's always been a place I'd love to go. And and what you've done really, you know, it makes sense. It kind of makes me think, why hasn't someone gone out and done this before? Because like you said, the, the, the two worlds have collided, but you do it so you know, so beautifully. And um, you know, the, the future is your oyster from what you do from here on. <laughs> Thank you very much for this opportunity. It's always amazing to share my passion with people out there and uh, to see people like you being genuinely interested in, in what we do. And uh, we need more people like you and me and hopefully we create a better uh, place for everyone. I love that. Thank you for your time and cheers to you, Martin. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks. Listen in every Thursday on your podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at overaglasspod and contact us at overaglass at deepintheweeds.com.au.